But I've got a gospel message this morning, uh, as it is Remembrance Sunday, and the Sazra video quoted the verse. A lot of war memorials uh, in this country will have this verse inscribed on them. It was on uh, John 15, verse 13. Greater love hath no man than this, than one is willing to lay down his life for his friends and of course uh, that verse is appropriate in remembering the countless number of men usually young men who have laid down their lives as a sacrifice in all the wars uh, especially the two world wars in order that we can enjoy freedom but I only want to concentrate on one person this morning and the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made and the verse starts with the words greater love hath no man than this and not to discount the great sacrifice that our soldiers have made uh, in all the different wars there is something unique about the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and he's not just talking here is he he's not just talking the talk these words were uttered in the upper room the night before Jesus was about to sacrifice himself so he means what he says and says what he means now let's look at it in this way I'll use an illustration on these cold autumn mornings even though it's still warm for the time of year it's still a bit cold, isn't it, early in the morning? And I could see the fog over Cardiff uh, this morning, uh, or Catardiff, uh, as it could be co uh, called. And there's nothing nice about being down in the valley uh, on a foggy morning. It's cold, it's damp, and it just makes you depressed. But if you're familiar with walking, you will realize that on these autumn days, the valleys can be covered in fog, but on the hills, you can be in blue skies and in the warmth of the sunshine. And so we are starting this morning maybe in the valley, in the fog. Are you in the valley? This world is called the Vale of Tears, you know. And it is that. A lot of my illustrations this morning are from wars, so there's nothing uh, pleasant about them. But even if we're not in a war, uh, then this life is full of sorrows, isn't it? We're in the valley of gloom. And what Jesus is saying to us in this verse is this, I want you to climb. I want you to start walking. And I want you to climb out of the valley. And I'm asking you to join with me this morning in climbing the highest hill of all when it comes to uh, being in the sunshine of God's love. That's Mount Calvary. There is no better ground to climb onto than the place where Jesus demonstrated his love for us. So let's start climbing. Why is Jesus' love greatest, no greater, unique 
Let me just give you a number of reasons, and hopefully by the end we will have reached the summits. The first is this, Jesus didn't have to die. What do I mean by that? Why is there death in the world? Why are there wars? Why is there disease? Why are there problems? Well, the Bible is very clear. It says it's because of spiritual malaise. You know, when you have a malaise after having a booster jab, you just feel completely out of sorts. Well, there's a spiritual malaise. And it's only got three letters, S-I-N. And it's sin that has caused all of this. When God created this world, it was perfect. It was paradise. And he created Adam and Eve. And they were perfect. But something came in. A disease came in. And that disease was sin. And as a result of sin, disobedience to God, rebellion against our creator, death came in, and all the other things that we are experiencing. And so, every one of us, even if it's not in a war, will one day have to die. I've been at enough people's deathbeds now to have it drummed into me that that's where I'm heading. That's where you're heading. And there's no use kidding ourselves that it's not going to happen to us. Indeed, it could happen to you suddenly. If you're not ready to die, it's like uh, playing Russian roulette with your soul. Our soul is not going to die. Our bodies are going to die. But our soul, when we die, is going to go into eternity. And we're going to have to stand before our maker. Man is appointed. Woman is appointed. Wants to die. And after that, the judgment. But Jesus didn't have to die. Why didn't he have to die? Because he is sinless. Jesus Christ was born of a woman. The seed of the woman. So he was a real human being. We're going to be remembering that in a few weeks' time. The baby that was born in Bethlehem was a real baby. The baby would have cried. But at the same time, he's God. The God-man. And he is the perfect man. And Jesus Christ didn't have to die. Jesus Christ, when he was born, he could have carried on living forever. Because he had no sin. It's the soul that sins that shall surely die. So that's the first reason why this love is the greatest of love. Jesus Christ could have said, forget it. I don't have to go through this. But it was love that drove him. Secondly, we're climbing higher. Jesus intentionally gave his life for you and for me. What do we mean by that? Don't soldiers who die in war intentionally sacrifice themselves? Well, yes, they do. But as they're going over the 
trenches. Have you, have you seen the new uh, version of All Quiet on the Western Front? It's a German film, very powerful film. I saw it the other night, and the German soldiers there in the First World War uh, climbing out of their trenches and marching, most of them marching to their doom. They're not intentionally sacrificing themselves, are they? They're hoping against all hopes that they're going to come through. And even if you think of uh, someone maybe on a beach, we hear, don't we, of accounts of somebody seeing somebody in distress in the sea and then uh, going in to try and save them. And the person is saved, but the person who saved them loses their life. Now, they don't intend in saving the person to lose their own life. They want to have their own life saved as well. And it only happens at the spur of a moment. So not to belittle that kind of sacrifice. I'm saying Jesus Christ intentionally came into this world to do one thing, to lay down his life. In becoming the sacrifice for your sin and mine, there was no other option. Jesus was not going to find another way. And I say, that's the greatest love then. I wonder sometimes how, uh, how people manage in the ministry. You know, it's not easy being a minister today. It's got to be God's call. But how did Jesus manage? What kept him going? Do you know what it was? Love. Love. At what point did it dawn on Jesus Christ when he was growing up? Because he was a real human being. He had to grow in knowledge. So the boy growing up in the carpenter's shop in Nazareth would not have known everything. At some point, it would have dawned upon that young mind that he was destined to be a sacrifice for the sins of others. There is an anecdote. I heard it when I was in school. I don't know if there's any truth to it. But when Jesus was a boy, he was... Uh, there in his father's shop and the sun was shining and he just stretched out his hands and the shadow uh, that was behind him looked as if he was crucified. But once Jesus was a man, he knew that this was his father's will. He knew during his ministry, what does the word say? He set his face as a flint to go to Jerusalem. He was the most focused of all ministers, Jesus Christ. Do you know what the driving force was that kept him going toward Jerusalem? Even one of his best friends said to him, Master, don't do it. But he set his face as a flint. What was it? It was the power of love. Love for you and for me. He didn't have to die, but he willingly chose that path. And there was no other way. And he still said, so be it. And at that moment in the Garden of Gethsemane, when the storm of God's wrath was beginning to fall upon him, even in Gethsemane, I think he was beginning to feel the drops of God's judgment coming down. He had to say, Father, if it be thy will, let this cup be removed from me. That's how anguished he was. And yet, what did he say? Not my will, but thine. What was that love? 
when he was nailed to that cross. It wasn't the nails that kept him there. As the Son of God, he could have come down at any moment. He could have asked a legion of angels to fight for him. What was it that kept him on the cross? It wasn't the nails. It was the love. Born that man, no more may die. Born to raise you and me, the sons of earth. Clods. Born to give us second birth. So Jesus didn't have to die, but love moved him. Jesus intentionally laid down his life. There was no other way. We're climbing higher. Are you coming with me? We're climbing higher. Jesus dies. What does the verse say? Greater love hath no man than this, that he's willing to lay down his life for his friends. Who did Jesus die for? Let's look at the friends that he had. I don't know what kind of friends you have. I hope they're better friends than Jesus had. What kind of friends were they? Well, one of them was called Judas Iscariot. And the night before Jesus died, Judas was the one who betrayed him. And Jesus still considered him his friend. I find it an amazing act of love that Jesus allowed Judas to sit at his right hand, the place of honour, and Jesus dipped the morsel of bread and handed it to Judas first. And Jesus knew full well what was on Judas' heart. What were they discussing? These friends of his. The night he was pouring his heart to them and preaching one of his greatest sermons and telling them about what he was about to do, the baptism, not water baptism, but the baptism of fire he was about to go through on the cross. What were his friends doing? A bit like Christians, they were arguing about who was the greatest. With friends like these, who needs enemies? <laughs> and then... Once the soldiers came with Judas, Judas betraying him with a kiss. And what did his disciples do? What did they do? This was their golden moment to support him, to fight for him. What did they do? They ran away like cowards. What friends? What about his closest disciple, Peter? What did he do? He thought he could follow, but he denied his Lord and Saviour, three times. He denied that he ever knew him. And Jesus saw that. He heard that. That look that Jesus gave Peter, must, it must have broken Peter's heart. Peter swore even that he didn't know Jesus. And when he's carrying his cross to Golgotha's hill, The only ones that are still with him are some of the women. Could we bear, I think it was Newton who wrote, could we bear from one another what he daily bears from us? We're no better, are we? You know, sometimes we Christians are the greatest liars and we lie in prayer to Jesus Christ. 
How many vows have we made? And where are they? They're broken. Williams Pantacellin wrote, Gwnes Adinedau Vil, I made a thousand vows. But I've broken them. I've broken them. Could we bear from one another what he daily bears from us? If we treated one another like that as friends, we would have be, not befriended. What do they do these days? I'm not on Facebook, so I... What's the term? D? Unfriend, unfriend. We would have... People unfriend their friends for the smallest of slights, don't they, today? But what does Jesus do? Yet this glorious friend and brother loves us, though we treat him so. With friends like these, who needs enemies? But the wonderful thing about the love of Jesus is that these people who were his friends, they became his friends. They weren't his friends before. When we're born into this world, we're not friends with Jesus. We're enemies to Jesus. And this is what makes the love of Jesus Christ the greatest love. He loves his enemies. And by loving those who are against him, he makes them his friends. Have you been made a friend because of what Jesus Christ did for you. I think somebody agrees. Can I ask a question? What did Jesus Christ see in you? To want to make you his friend. What did he see in you? This is what Leon Morris says, one of the greatest commentators on John. It was not his friend's supreme merits that won Christ's love. His love for them was despite their many demerits. What I'm trying to say is that Jesus Christ didn't see anything in you. He didn't see anything in me to deserve his friendship. All he saw in us was sin, rebellion, And yet he said, I'm going to love these. I'm going to make these my friends. One of my favorite verses is um, Romans 5, verse 6. God commendeth his love toward us. God makes conspicuous his love for us. In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Still sinners. When Jesus made you his friend, when Jesus set his love upon you, he knew exactly what you were like. He knows you better than you know yourself. He knows all the dark secrets that are hidden in the recesses of your hearts. Again, this is what the commentator says, there are no dirty secrets for Jesus to learn about us later that will cause him to turn his love from us. Christ's friendship is unchangeable, resting upon the knowledge of what we are by nature and of what he means his grace shall make us to be. He didn't love any of us because there was something deserving of that love. There wasn't even a spark of goodness. Do you know why he loved you? Tis mercy 
all. Immense and free. Nothing of merits. That's what blew the Apostle Paul's mind away. The greatest intellect this world has ever seen. He couldn't get over it. He loved me. That's why the highest angel in heaven, the archangel Gabriel, cannot plumb the depths of love divine in vain. In vain. The firstborn seraph tries to plumb the depths of love divine. That's why if you are here this morning and you think Christianity isn't for you, you feel as if you're a stranger coming to church because you're not good enough, my friend, I want to urge you to come to one who loves people who are not good enough. And actually, if you think you're good enough, you're in the wrong place. <laughs> the fact that Jesus' opponents derided him as the friend of tax collectors and sinners, that's the greatest label he's got, isn't it? So Jesus didn't die for his friends. They became his friends through grace. He died for people who were his enemies. No, I haven't read of any soldier that has done that in war. Even the greatest of sacrifice is for your own country. But Jesus left his own country. He left the verdant fields of glory and came into this front, worse than the Western fronts, worse than the trenches in the First World War, which is one of the closest uh, descriptions of hell, I think, uh, in history. Worse than that, in order that we might be saved. And then, climbing higher, and I'm coming to a conclusion here, Jesus died, not just for his enemies, but he died... Will you get this? For your sin. He didn't have any sin of his own. He didn't need to go through all of this for his own sake. He did it for others' sake. And he did it for your sin and mine. That's one of the greatest statements in the Bible. He did not die for himself. He died for others. Luther said, no man feared death as this man. When, when you read of people dying in war, yes, there's a fear there. But when you read of Christians sometimes dying, Christians being martyred, th there's something glorious about it, isn't there? I know the details are gory. <laughs> no death is easy in that sense. But th there's a peace about them. They know where they're going. And martyrs considered martyrdom the final crown but Jesus Christ when he came to die he didn't die like a martyr he didn't cry out uh, I see heaven opened before me as Stephen did what did he cry out on the cross he cried out a cry not of blessing but of dereliction my God my God why hast thou forsaken me 
And do you know why was that? We'll never know fully why. Why did God the Father set his love upon people like us? Why did God the Son willingly come and went all the way to the cross? Why? We will never understand that, not even in eternity. But we know that God the Father had to hide his face because God the Son was being punished for our sins. And God can't look at sin. God's reaction to sin, his white light of holiness to the ugly darkness of sin is one of wrath. And Jesus on the cross took all of that. He took all the shells, as it were. Uh, think of the Western Front. Think of the atomic bomb dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Think of that and multiply it by infinity and you just get some semblance of the white holiness of God, the heat and why hell is forever. And Jesus took our condensed hell in a matter of three hours. It wasn't a green hill, was it? It wasn't a green hill. When I went to Jerusalem, I don't know if I found where Jesus was crucified. There are two possible sites. Uh, there's the traditional sites, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, which is full of tourists. And then there's Gordon's Calvary. But even Gordon's Calvary outside the wall is just by a bus stop. There's, there's nothing green about Gordon's Calvary. It was the rubbish dump of the city. And it was the Son of God who was being treated as the worst of criminals. Blasphemy was the worst sin in Jewish society. It would have been like accusing Jesus of being a paedophile today. That's what God's Son is suffering. And he wouldn't have been like, you know, on the pictures uh, wearing uh, something around his waist. He would have been naked. Blood would have been flowing down from the crown of thorns and he would have been crying in agony and people would have abandoned him. His friends had abandoned him and those that were gathered around him were deriding him and trying to say to him, if you're really the son of God, come down, save yourself. How does the hymnist put it? Do you know this hymn? Bearing, bearing what? Shame. Think of the shame. When you commit sin, do you still feel a sense of shame when you commit sin? We don't blush anymore, do we? But think of all the sin being laid on Jesus. And the shame, bearing shame and scoffing. In my place, condemned he stood. Sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. What a saviour. Who was the chap? He was a Canadian. Dr. John McRae. Have I got that right? John McRae during the First World War on Flanders fields where all the soldiers had laid down their lives. He saw poppies growing. Poppies. And that's why the poppy uh, became the symbol of remembrance of those who had shed their blood. It's very fitting, isn't it? The colour uh, remind you of blood and John McRae wrote uh, a poem in Flanders fields but there is a red that is even deeper than the red of the poppies that grew on Flanders fields there is a red 
that is the blood of Jesus Christ. And the blood signifies the death, especially the sacrificial death on the cross. And it's not just on one Sunday a year, on on the 11th day of the 11th month, at the 11th hour that it's remembered. That blood is being, as it were, poured out. And that blood is being remembered every time the gospel is preached. And that blood can cleanse you from your sin. There is power in the blood of Jesus Christ. The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And there is wonder-working power in the blood. Would you be free from your burden of sin? Yes, we're carrying the burden of life's problems. But have you ever felt the burden of the guilt of sin? That I've got to die. I'm not ready to die. I don't want to go to hell. I don't want this horrible disease called sin. I want to be saved from it. Jesus Christ has come in order to save. And praise be to God. I don't do anything. He's done everything. And his blood can cleanse me. Have you washed in his blood? One of the most famous war films is Apocalypse Now. I don't know if you've seen it. It's uh, quite a gory film of the Vietnam War. And Martin Sheen, the main character, he goes on a mission to find uh, Kurtz, Colonel Kurtz. And he's not going to rescue Colonel Kurtz. He's going into the depths of the Viet Cong uh, riddled jungle to eliminate Kurtz, to eliminate. And Kurtz, when he's killed, he utters the words, the darkness, the darkness, and the darkness on Calvary's hill. And Jesus, his mission wasn't to destroy. He, as it were, was killed instead of you and me so that we can be saved so that we instead of saying the darkness the darkness that's what jesus said jesus went all the way into the heart of darkness he went all the way along the river into something far worse than the Viet Cong jungle he went all the way to hell as it were and he uttered the darkness the darkness so that we could say, the light, the light. Have you seen the light? It was there at the cross. I received my sight, and the burden of my heart rolled away. Have you seen the light? Because Jesus has taken your darkness. Well, I've got to come to a conclusion. I... I've mentioned the film before, but Saving Pride Ryan, that's, that, that's another great war film. Second World War, the Ryan family from the States, they had four sons. And uh, was it five sons or four? I can't remember. But all of them, bar one, were killed uh, in the Second World War. And Ryan, who was only a private, the lowest of the low, he was stranded behind German lines. And so... <laughs> the U.S. Army decides, we're going to rescue him. Just this one little private soldier. And Tom Cruise, the lead character, he goes on a mission, not to destroy, but to rescue. He goes behind the enemy lines, just as Jesus on the cross. He went behind the lines of Satan. He took the onslaughts of the wrath of God and the forces of evil so that one lost sheep could be saved. 
Do you, do you feel like Private Ryan? I'm only me. I'm only poor, ordinary me. I'm just a sinful person. I'm weak. I'm pathetic. But Jesus Christ came all the way to save me. And I'm amazed at such love. I'm amazed. And Ryan was brought home in spite of all the odds. I was listening to Radio 3 this morning and it was talking about, um, what, what did they call them? Uh, I never heard about this before. Thankful villages. Have you heard of a thankful village? That apparently, during uh, the Second World War, if all the soldiers that had gone to fight from a village, if all of them came back alive, that was a thankful village. And then you had doubly thankful villages. So if the soldiers had gone in the First World War and had all come back alive, that was a doubly thankful village. Do you know what heaven's going to be? Heaven's not a village, is it? It's a city. The city of our God. Heaven's a thankful city. Because all those that commander Jesus came to save are going to get home. John Haywood is home. Jane Popham is home. And we're going there. And I just want to ask as I finish... We're remembering, we're remembering not just the two world wars, but other conflicts. But are you going to remember the sacrifice of Jesus Christ? Greater love hath no man than this. And are you going to come to him and believe in him? Call on him to save you? Follow him? And if you are, are you going to abide in his love? I, I like the fact we've got a warm bank. In the church in Lampeter, they don't call them warm banks. They call them warm havens. And in a cold world, if we're abiding in the love of Christ, it's a warm haven, isn't it? And I know of no better place to abide than under the shadow of the cross of Jesus Christ. A warm bank indeed. And the wonderful thing about this bank, unlike our banks today, it's got plenty of credits. And we've got the love of Jesus to give in abundance to a cold, sad, needy world. That's what this church is about. We want you to come to Jesus Christ. We want you to be saved by him. We want you to abide in him. And... We're going to sing now about it. Here is love vast as the ocean, loving kindness as the flood, when the Prince of Life, our ransom, shed for us, here it is again, his precious blood. And you know what comes next? Who his love will not remember. Who can cease to sing his praise? We're going to sing his praises now, and it's the extended version, so it's even better. And it's number 29 in the supplements.
Father, we praise Thee indeed for that warm bank of unlimited love in Jesus Christ, uh, unboundless, uh, Thy warmth of love to me. And it's that cross, Lord, we can't get enough of it at the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight, and now I am happy, happy all the day. And Father, we pray that even one person here would become the happy man, the happy woman, as they come to Jesus at the cross. And make us a happy church, O oh Lord. Uh, make us those who have a song in their hearts. And Lord, we thank thee for someone worth singing about, for a love that's worth celebrating. And now may the grace of Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the sweet fellowship, the warmth of the Holy Spirit be with us all now and forever until we get home. Amen.